Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the ARIA podcast, a podcast about music, art, and social issues. My name is Julianne Colwell and I'm your host. This podcast is all about giving fellow creatives a voice and a platform. You can follow us on Instagram at ARIA podcast or on Patreon at ARIA podcast. This week, I'm interviewing Richie Brennan, a trombonist, composer, and music educator. Be sure to listen for a clip from his latest release at the end of this episode. All right. Hello, everyone. So today I'm here with Richard Brennan, a man of many talents, <laughs> mainly music educator. That's the big talent that he's focusing on right now. Am I yes, right? that is... Right now, what I am doing, I'm just finishing up my last semester in my music education degree. Yeah, at ASU. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Where we both shared the stage a few times in the jazz Mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I was in big band with you the whole time I was in big band. Yeah, I was like like two years. Well, you were in there for like a full year and then you sang with the big band as well. Right. Yes, I did. I did that one time. I wish I'd done that more than one time. <laughs> Relatable. Maybe another time. Have you sung with the big band yet? You did. No, once, right? actually, I haven't. I've directed the big band, but I, I have that... not sang with the big band yet. Right. No, I knew you did something um, fancy. <laughs> with the big and fancy <laughs> big band. band. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, you were... So you helped direct the band for a show as part of your education degree. Well, right? so technically no, but um, basically what happened was in the summer of 2019, um, ASU helped finance me to go to the Jazz at Lincoln Center Band Director Academy that they held that they hold annually. Um, obviously, right now it's a little different, but uh, at the time I went out to New York and like had master classes every day for like, I want to say five days. And uh, I mean, I'm a college student and a musician, so I couldn't really afford to do that on my own. But since ASU helped, um, Mike thought that me going there was like sort of like a catalyst to give me the actual experience of directing the band and Uh he sort of just let me do it and it it turned into more than one concert like it turned there was like i want to say i recall three different uh gigs where i was in front of the band i see okay now that i i remember that i mean i wasn't in the band anymore but i remember Mm -hmm. hearing about it and Seeing about it. I wish that I'd gone to any of those gigs, but I did not. Sorry about that. It's okay. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like once you're in the band for two years and then you come back for another thing, I was pretty much oh, tr- done. Trust <laughs> me. I understand. <laughs> I, I, I get it. Like, I mean, as long as I'm in the big band, I'll stay in the big band, but like, once <laughs> I'm specifically thinking of something else now, but once you're in a group for a very long time and then you take a break from that group, you <laughs> don't, you know, they say that the heart grows fonder with, with like 
time away, but like there are some things where I was just like, okay, I need a break. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I felt that with the, the ASU big band for sure. And I felt that with the high school big mm -hmm. band that we were <laughs> both part of. I think it's really funny because I had Casey on last time and she was in TJI and you're another TJI mm -hmm. alone. <laughs> I was going to say Survivor, but. <laughs> Lots of Tucson Jazz Institute folks on my list, I guess. I don't know. It just happened to work. You know, it's interesting way. though, because I feel like it's such a unique thing and it's probably okay. Even if you have like multiple guests that are on there, like their experiences are all going to just be very different, you know? Absolutely. I think that's kind of what's fun about talking to everybody is, I mean, I feel like the first season of this podcast is just going to be me talking about like my close friends and kind of our shared mm -hmm. experiences but they're not necessarily all like shared experiences. We just kind of did the same thing, but had a completely different yeah. outlook mm -hmm. on what we did and stuff. So I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, I can't even think of what your experience in TJI was because when I was in it, you were like, yeah, I think there might've been one year of overlap when I, cause I was in like, right. I joined when I was, I want to say eighth grade, but it might have been like late seventh grade or like the summer in between or something. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So I might have been around. I mean, I stopped in 2013. So were you there by then? Yes. In like eighth grade. Yeah. When I think about how long ago that was, like, I think that like th my first year in the Ellington band was like eight years ago. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, this February is my 10-year anniversary since I auditioned for... TJ. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I've been I've been thinking about it a lot, like 2011, <laughs> um, what what my life was like mm -hmm, in 2011. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's super crazy. I mean, I guess I'm uh, pretty happy with where I ended up. I got a jazz degree and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you are... Doing things where you're pursuing your passions, and I think that in any sort of degree of the arts, if you are continuing to do that after your degree, then I think you had a successful degree. Definitely, and I mean, it was a it was a successful degree for so mm -hmm. many reasons, not just for the for the jazz oh, yeah. related reasons. Although you you obviously might be pursuing becoming a a band director in the future, and you've directed a jazz big band before. And you play trombone, but you also play a variety of other instruments. So, like, what else are you, like, working on for your music right now? So, for my music right now, I am saving up money to get my own guitar. Because um, anyone who listens to this and follows me on Instagram, any guitar that you see me use on there right now, uh, that's my roommate's guitar. I don't have my own guitar. <laughs> I also don't have a keyboard, so I don't know how I've made it this far, but those are like sort of essential in a music education degree as well. But um, I'm sort of just trying to develop my voice as a musician because I don't know. I took 
so in my degree at ASU, obviously you have the stuff that's on your course map. And I was already like taking a, like many things outside of the course map because I'm in jazz program. And mm-hmm. with that, I was just like, okay, well, I'm just going to take extra classes. And so I've taken like film composition and uh, songwriting. I've, I've even taken like dance classes and stuff. And I think right now I'm sort of trying to find more of my voice in like that songwriting, like, I don't want to say pop music necessarily, but just songs, you know, not necessarily like jazz compositions. And it's a bit more challenging because I'm so used to thinking a particular way when I'm writing music, but you don't need to think like that when you're just writing songs, you know, it doesn't need to follow like the, there are song structures and forms for uh, popular music genres, but like, I'm so used to like having a bridge and specific things or like ABAC, like just like very typical standard uh, song forms. So I don't know. That's where I'm at. No, I I hear you. Yeah. I dig that. It's funny. Um, You're not the only person that I've spoken to that has gotten a jazz degree and then was like, wait, I don't really want to just write jazz songs. Yeah, I mean, you look at (laughs) someone like, okay, Quincy Jones, for one, one of like the most prolific producers, produces for so many artists other than jazz musicians, right? And then you have someone like Terrence Blanchard, who is such a renowned jazz artist, but like he is getting um, like Oscar nominations for his film scoring and that sort of stuff. And it's just, I think that the jazz degree is sort of like an outlet to sort of think a specific way, but also it's sort of in another sense, a trap to think a specific way. I know (laughs) that sort of didn't make sense. It made sense in my head, but like when you go into a jazz program, you are given more liberties in the way that you think than if you were to go to like other parts of the music school and like (laughs) everything, not everything, but many of the programs uh, before ACU added this pop music program, many of the programs were so rooted in like dead white guy stuff. And it's just you, it was so hard for a student to find a way to just delineate from that path at all almost and the nice thing about jazz is that you're not, you're not playing you're not like following dead white guys um you're following dead black guys and living black people and literally it's just it's it's like the only path or it was at least there's a pop music program now where you could think about music in a different way than this sort of like uh, Western classical sense of mind, you know? Yes, (laughs) totally know what you're saying. It's, I'm so grateful that ASU would allow um, saxophone performance majors to either pick between jazz or classical Mm -hmm. because so many other schools 
so many other schools will require you to just be a classical saxophonist and sometimes be in a big band, maybe. And like they kind of, even when you're studying jazz, they kind of shorthand you and make you do all this classical yeah. stuff. Um, at least that's what I've heard. I don't know. I definitely know that I was not trying to become a <laughs> classical saxophonist. So I was grateful. That yeah, ASU yeah, was exactly. <laughs> I wasn't trying to become a classical trombonist either. Like I've, you know, I'm not super experienced in it. I've played in an orchestra literally once ever, but like, it's just, it wasn't what I was going there to do. And um, on another sense, it's also <laughs> the, the, the thing that I was thinking about trap though, is that in a jazz school, obviously jazz has its own really rich history and that sort of stuff. And there's sort of like, I don't want to say a battle, but many schools of, jazz uh or like jazz uh, many schools that teach jazz are probably along the lines of like following a tradition or like you know creating a bebop sound or like listening to these players or this as that but um there's like many people nowadays who are starting to create like a new sound i don't want to say like a new sound of jazz but just like they aren't you could hear that they have listened to like the masters, but they're developing their own voice. And that's sort of where I'm at right, right. now. Like I, I love playing all this stuff from like the thirties or even the twenties to like the sixties or seventies or eighties, all like literally all of it. I love it, but it's the stuff that I want to create and play for myself. Isn't exactly that, you know? So I just, I'm sorry if you can hear my roommate's uh, TV, um, but it's it's my I, I sort of feel like my voice is not solely within that frame of jazz music. Yeah, no, I hear you. When I was studying at ASU, I just felt like I couldn't write songs for shit. And it's because I couldn't really like get my mind into the jazz composing realm like it's not that I didn't want to ever write jazz music or anything, but it was just like the frame of mind behind it. It just seemed really hard. And I don't know, maybe it's not as hard as I thought it was when I was like a junior. Um, and when I was a junior, it was like ugh, 2016 mm -hmm. or something. It was a long time ago. And I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And all the songs that I ever wanted to write just didn't really fit into the jazz bubble that I was being taught to begin with. And I was really, you know, I was really stoked to be in a jazz composition class and like learn a little bit of, of how that would work and kind of ways to like just people to take inspiration from and stuff like that. But I think in the end, um, the music that I am writing right now is like not jazz at all, but maybe I'll throw my mm -hmm. saxophone in there sometimes. Because kind of what I would like to do, and I know that you just did this, is like you released some music that was supposed to be like for your recital. Yep. And it was like, it was straight ahead jazz, right? It wasn't like maybe not totally straight yeah, ahead. But yeah, I'd say I'd say one could label it as straight ahead. But, it, you know, it wasn't what, what a jazz <laughs> musician would call straight ahead, you know. Right. So there were, there were probably some, some mixtures of, of different... Like, yeah, there's there's one tune on there, which is like my my favorite tune that um has like almost like a rock beat at the end. And it was I just remember uh, 
Nathan, like, um, I just, I don't even give Nathan like real sheet music just because I know that he sort of, he's played with me so much that he sort of knows what I'm trying to tell him. And I was just like, yeah, just give me like a backbeat or something. And like, he, he just got it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, that's, that's not necessarily a, like a backbeat. I think I said the wrong thing, but that, that's what I want. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it was jazz, but it wasn't, you know, literal, like, copies of recordings of standards. <laughs> yes, of there's records, no autumn you know? leaves. <laughs> like, God, when I did my junior and senior recitals, I pretty much just picked tunes that, I mean, they weren't, like, standard standards, but I picked tunes and I just copied the recording, basically, like, verbatim, as mm -hmm. close to the recording as I could, because... I at least knew that I could land that and do really well with that. And I thought that we would just be really swinging and that's all I cared about. And I still pretty much only care about swinging. I'm not like much of a like super mm -hmm. out player, but I like playing free music. So that's kind of like the opposite <laughs> of what I just said. But <laughs> there's like, there's yeah. a time and place for both, you know? And I, when I was in college, I, I played it pretty safe. I think for my senior recital, I had a tune that I played where we opened it free and then we went into it and I had the guys learn it all by ear because I was not about to write down street yeah. music for them for this. And um, it worked out really well. And I really like creating music like that. Um, but yeah, I think kind of going back to what we were saying, it's like really, it's interesting that a lot of us with jazz degrees or who are about to have jazz degrees are kind of like, we're using it to like compose music and make the music we want, but we're not necessarily using it to like solely become. Yes, jazz exactly. Exactly. You know? And you know, part of me thinks that maybe I, you know, I obviously all these songs or well, all these compositions that were on my recital were compositions aside, aside from one, which was a Christmas tune, but um, like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> Like, I I want to say I don't know if everyone could get away with doing that, you know? Like, like get away with get away with kind the of. stuff you chose like, to do. Like, or... I I I think there are a few factors at play. Maybe one circumstance, given that uh. I was never going to be able to actually have a real recital and maybe the faculty were like a little bit more lenient. Um, part of it could have been like, I have good relationships with ev everyone on the faculty, I'd say. Um, and then also I'm not a performance major and like, not that I had to argue anything. Like uh, I didn't have to like justify myself but um like i feel like they they sort of there's like sort of like this weird like not weird but there's like a sort of trust dynamic that even though i'm not in the performance degree i they they'll they know that i'm not going to just like play some really super out stuff you know yeah well and they they know that you're a good performer and they you know, trust mm -hmm. in that 
side of you so they don't really need to you know check up on that too much like but there there are music schools where like you have to give them your recital rep ahead of time and they have to approve it i didn't have to do anything like that i could have like mm -hmm. the, <laughs> everyone that watched my recital live could have listened like i oh man i almost threw in a jazz arrangement of 433 <laughs> at one point like you know I, like there it's again it's like a trust thing but like um there was no sort of like you need to play scrabble from the apple you need to play this this that you know like no that that but that is a thing at other schools so right. i do appreciate that there was this sort of sense of like you can do you you know you don't need to show us the this is the jazz trombone recital <laughs> thank god it mean uh jj johnson <laughs> and then maybe some uh curtis uh, fuller right and there's more oh, to yeah. trombone than those two like, <laughs> but that's what the, when i think of like yeah. if i think of what uh someone at another school's jazz recital might sound like they easily have rep from both of them but they i i i also want to say that i don't think they'd have rep from like king uh or like kid ori from like like the 20s when jazz trombone started but soviet well i think it's i think it's really cool um you have when you've done jazz performances you've done a lot of really interesting stuff and you've sang too so you've given yourself a little bit more room to be more than just the labeled trombone yeah player, yeah you know that is true part of it is also because um my improper embouchure uh, sort of hinders my stamina in my chops. And I strategically place tunes where I'm going to sing at points where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to play right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. You just revealed a secret to <laughs> hey, me. I, I mean, no like, <laughs> if I literally, I know, like, after playing, <laughs> like, I, I remember, I think I, like, put, Pensativa and like another uh Art Blakey tune like right next to each other. And I was just like, oh, bad idea. Like I was so out of chops after those two, but I knew that I was gonna sing in like a, in after another tune or two. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Damn, I guess I I did think about that when I would put shows together too. Mm -hmm. But I think berry chops <laughs> are very different from trombone chops. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like we all have an improper amateur. Like, who learned well, see, how to play that? The, that is so, so true. But <laughs> part of the reason I think my amateur is so bad is because when I was in middle school and a little bit into high school, I played tuba as well, and I think that's where my amateur went down the drain. But the mouthpiece is so big that you can't tell if you're doing something wrong. So no one was telling me right, <laughs> to fix exactly. the problem. And it just, it got w way beyond my control. And now it's just, it's, I've had many talks with the faculty at ASU. Like, should we give me a year to reset my embouchure and like take things easy? And I've just, and like, I've gone back on it so many times because if I tried that, it could honestly 
not work and then i'd that'd be a lose-lose but um so we're just at the point right. where we're it's sort of like we've i've managed to come this far without any serious obstacles and at that point it's like the only stuff that i wouldn't be able to play are like screaming lead parts which i don't even like playing <laughs> so i like it doesn't get in the way of my soloing like 95 percent of the time unless like i actually have zero chops but like it's it's something that i've gone back and forth on and just decided like it's not critical to my performing identity so i don't need to change it that's awesome i mean that is some crazy shit to have to come to terms with and I feel like that happens to a lot of brass players more often than any of us <laughs> wind players um, realize. And it's, it's super detrimental. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's messed up. So, I mean, I'm glad that you have been able to sort it out and think about that. That's definitely <laughs> one of the trials and tribulations of being a musician. It's like uh, part of why I kind of dropped off the face of the earth in 2019, when I was done with my coursework at ASU is because my right mm. wrist was really messed up. And that's kind of the, the bottom hand of playing Barry. And it's kind of always hyperextended yeah. in this weird way to reach all the keys. And um, I mean, I don't feel any pain today, mm. but I still feel pain every once in a while. And it was partly because of the strain I'm, I was putting on my shoulders that was causing my wrist to hurt. So basically like overuse of one thing causes pain in another thing. And of course I didn't realize that I was even injured until I was nearly done with yeah. my degree entirely. So I was just spending all that time hurting myself, not realizing it. And, um, you know, part of why I started to take singing more seriously too, <laughs> is cause I was like, shit, I mean, <laughs> this, this is not going to, really work out to be my only like musical identity but also you know i've been singing since i was little and maybe i i do wonder what how different my life would have been if i had just pursued vocal lessons instead of saxophone lessons and like you know i still feel like i would have ended up playing saxophone but it's crazy to think about like damn what if i had actually just taken voice lessons because <laughs> I, 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 I haven't either so <laughs> you're in the same boat and i need to I want to mm -hmm. do that because I obviously love being a vocalist. And I think that with the music I've been working on, it's kind of more sure, vocalist sure. based than anything else. So shit. Mm -hmm. Your your goal when you graduate, are you going to try to land a teaching job right away? Or are you going to hang out and kind of see um, what happens? I kind of unofficially know what I'm doing. Um uh i guess i could say like i plan on doing a master's degree in performance but you can't see the air quotes that i'm putting on this um i talked with mike about it <laughs> and basically what he told me is that i don't need to study trombone performance and that i could have what would be basically a jazz composition degree even though that's not an actual degree that's offered at asu gotcha. and um mm -hmm. he said that i could work with any faculty member that i wanted to uh, any jazz faculty member i should say like 
on any semester. So like I could work with him one semester and then I could work with Jeff on another semester. And he really reassured me like that. I don't need to do like the trombone stuff. Like obviously I'll, I'll definitely need to play my trombone, but um, I, I sort of want to say that my plan is an unofficial degree in jazz composition. <laughs> so like I don't know how feasible this is, but that I just get more time to like study with Lewis as well. Like not just be in a combo with him or like just in a class, but like actually get like a few lessons or something, you know, just because he he just thinks so like he obviously he's like a renowned professional musician and he's one of the nicest people on earth. So like it's being in the room with him as like a, uh, an instructor is it's such a different experience. For those of you who don't know, Lewis Nash is, is a professional jazz drummer, musician, educator. He's kind of like the whole package. He's like insanely popular in the jazz world and has been around for quite a long time. And so when he started studying at ASU, all of a sudden the drum <laughs> studio was fucking packed. <laughs> and not only the drum studio, but, you know, it definitely like changed the dynamic of the school of music by a long shot. And it was fun because he, he really just, there, there were other experiences that I had with other teachers where they would kind of like rub me mm -hmm. the wrong way indirectly or directly, whatever it was. But Lewis never really did that. Cause he, Lewis really has a way of addressing his students in a yeah. really respectful way, in a really meaningful way, and in like a really hard-ass kind of way, but not in an offensive way or in a way that's going to make you feel bad about yourself, you know? Like, as a teacher, I think that's like hardest thing to learn how to do is to address your students in a way to where you can tell them they need to improve on something or tell them something's just not working without making yep. them feel like yep. a piece of garbage. Yep. And know? like, I've just, <laughs> I, I know we both have had... Um, experiences where you know we've gotten very direct uh feedback yeah but it wasn't always the most nuanced approach you know learning from obviously <laughs> this person that we're thinking of is a key is a great director in the sense that if big bands were a product they'd be off the shelves like immediately if they were under the label of they were produced by this man but just <laughs> some of the experiences that i and many other people that i know have had uh you know the the stories of making this product are if if the general public learned about it they'd be like oh all of us, every single one of us that got to ASU, like someone, some other observing Phoenix musician is like, wow, you all. Yeah. Like and then I'm like, but I can play <laughs> diminuendo crescendo. How about that? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, okay. <laughs> you, you said it. I got it. <laughs> I know there's, yep. like, there's like no way to flex big band charts because, unless you end up playing and i mean this is a side note i convinced mike to 
let us play Kansas City Sweet after, you know, enough begging um, because I really wanted to play those yeah. cards again yeah, yeah, yeah. in like yeah. a kind of more nurturing environment. <laughs> but I don't even remember if I really needed to convince him much. I think he had one tune out and I was yeah. like, fucking pull out the rest, man. There's Okay, but there's one tune on there that like, you know. I, I just, I can't play it. You know what it is. <laughs> I wait. Which one? I. It's honestly. Wait, I don't. He know. who shall not be named, of tunes. Like, I cannot say it. But <laughs> when we, it's I. Literally every year I went to Essentially Ellington, I played this tune at the sound check before the final concert because it was. You know which one I'm talking about now. Because oh, okay. if, for good reason, it's the song that literally every student in TGI knows the best. And it's good to have a song like that. But man, I cannot listen to that tune anymore. It's thinking about it just makes me think of so many times where I'm like, am I really performing this? And there have been times where Mike's brought it out and I'm just like, Mike, please, <laughs> please don't do this to me. Yes. You just get up and leave. Yeah, Wait, probably. Didn't yeah. We have to sight read that chart together. Yeah. And I and I looked back. Yeah. At you and yeah. You were like, and I'm, so I'm sure. I'm pretty sure. Like Tyler was also probably like. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just. I just. I'd expect Aubrey he too. And we honestly, probably Nathan. There. We were probably. <laughs> you know what? I think it was one of those band rehearsals where like everybody. There were like so many TJI alum in the band. <laughs> There was like one saxophone. Yeah, well, like we're all like groaning and, and rolling our eyes, and they're like, going on? I like this trend. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, wait, what's wrong with it? No, I it's... don't think anyone really likes that song. Honestly, like... though, it, honestly, though, one thing that was nice for, about it was that that was like the tune that was always opened up. So that's, and like, at least if you wanted to solo on a gig, you could solo on that, too, you know? It's a. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. It's not on blues. <laughs> so basically, y'all, we just have a lot of trauma from being in this band because we had to play the same chart on like every single concert we ever had as high schoolers, which was a lot because this it, band had a lot of gigs. It's not even crazy to, to say like over 200 day. times. It's not even crazy to say that. That's like, I feel like I'm lowballing, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm shooting real low. <laughs> so I had met up with Scott and Gavin to mm -hmm. just like go over some bebop lines or something one afternoon. God, don't even know. And that's when he just subtly brought it up in front of Gavin too, which seemed yeah. like wrong because... Mm -hmm conflict of interest you know he's in a band or whatever but he just said it anyways and he was like look if you audition on barry and you have your shit together you might have a chance to be in the band and he was like winking oh dude scott is so funny but like he's so man <laughs> no i know i know i was just like too, I was just so You're like, tripped man, what's like, wrong you with your what? eye? I don't like, even care how thinking? weird this is. I'm gonna try to do that. Yeah. 
<laughs> just those weird encounters that you have oh growing into yourself as a musician but it was really fun because i mean it was really fun to pick up barry and to fall in love with it because i like really was not good at it at first it was a battle but you know what i wasn't good at alto either mm -hmm. so it's like might as well just get better at one of these because <laughs> alto wasn't my strong suit and i wasn't about to play a lead alto charge <laughs> no no <clears throat> never sure. i still can't do it so, mm -hmm. like, still i don't know how he does that shit so barry tarts are like the fun yeah. mixture between the lead alto part and like the bass trombone part so you get all the good lead parts of the alto and you get all the good bass notes and it's just perfect so i really <laughs> hit the jackpot honestly thanks god yep jump starting yep. my career <laughs> then, oh then man i can think of so many times when i left uh tgi crying <laughs> i can think of so many times where i saw oh, no. other people crying in rehearsals <laughs> Like this, obviously, I, I I don't know how good this like looks. Obviously, TGI is probably so different now because the staff has changed. And but like specifically, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. like people getting into arguments with a specific director and like just oh, man, oh man, I like there's just so <laughs> many specific examples that come to my head. That I don't, I just don't want to talk about because i don't want to slander tgi's public image because it's a really good program yeah it's not the same as it used to be i mean yeah things ain't what they used to be <laughs> i'm sorry i apologize no it's very different now i am sure and i'd love to see what it's like now but back then yeah. it was pretty funny how often i mean this band director would yell at like any random kid for just oh, no reason geez. and just like really into them. And then even if there was, even if there was a reason to yell at them, it would just go like, it would just escalate so you hear, quickly. You want to hear I mean, a bad story? I don't know. I think I can say this one because it doesn't involve like any students like <laughs> yeah, crying go for or anything, it. Go but for like, it. um, there was, we were at the, I want to say okay. NAU Jazz Festival, and the Buddy Rich Band, which is like the third band, third ensemble, um, <laughs> was going on to perform. It was either the Buddy Rich Band or the Kenton Band, and they were going on to perform, and Doug never showed up. Oh, I said his name. Either way, but uh, he never showed up. And okay. he okay. was eating at oregano's. <laughs> and a student had to lead the band <laughs> at the NAU Jazz Festival. I think about, I, I used to think about this all the time, that there should have been a Tucson Jazz Institute reality TV show oh, where they boy. just filmed us oh, boy. in Ellington band rehearsals <laughs> and outside of Ellington band rehearsals. <laughs> Oh like, my gosh, dude! That just remi that reminded me of two like, things. I, I remember what at one point, today. like HBO you know? gave TGI like a bunch of equipment because there was gonna be like an HBO feature about them, and that just never happened. And then two, I think about the uh, documentary yes. that was made um, about mm -hmm. what's his name? What's his name? Jimmy Heath, and it's called Passing the Torch. If anyone wants to watch it, you can find it like. I think I'm like, you can definitely find it on YouTube. 
Um, but you'll probably find it other places. And like, I'm just thinking about like how it turned out compared to how I thought it was going to turn out. <laughs> but like, man, if there was like, I could just imagine like some sort of like mockumentary type format, like The yeah. Office, but like CGI. <laughs> It's also like just like that. It's like that weird relationship where I've like I've talked to someone else about this. Like, if he passed away, I'd still miss him a lot, right? Because he was so impactful in our lives, and in a very large degree, he's one of the best band directors I've had. Just because he's he is a reason that I know that like there's a specific way that a big band can sound that like I. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's one of those things where once you try it you're just like oh it can sound this good why doesn't it always sound this good you know what i mean so like it's a huge reason obviously i am going into education at some point and i plan on directing bands but i don't now i don't only plan on directing bands but i am i think i'm always going to want to direct a jazz band just to and not to pull from all of his bag bag of trips uh, tricks obviously i'm gonna like take all the influences of music educators that i've had and but i i really just want to show students how good it can feel to play in a big band that's playing that well oh my god yeah i mean i I can remember the first time that I played like and I and I was only sitting in so I was playing with the Ellington band but I was sitting in on second alto for some reason I don't remember if I was like subbing for someone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or this was just one of those weird Saddlebrook gigs that we did where like anyone could sit in but I I sat in and it must have been pretty early on if I was still playing alto so anyways I just remember how amazing it felt. I I will never forget this. I I mean, we were playing <laughs> Swing in the Blues, I think. Oh yeah, it's it fun. another one of those tunes that we played too. I still like this one. <laughs> this one I don't have like a tainted relationship with, but we were playing that and God, like it must've been, it was Grant Cherry on piano and Gib Bandish on the drums, or maybe it was Tim. No, I think it was Gib on that tune. It was Gib on the drums <laughs> and Colin Deloisio <laughs> on the bass. Shout out to any of y'all if you're listening. <laughs> and oh my God, like the, the, okay. So I guess what I had not experienced prior to this in my like regular high school band is like the pure joy of kind of like, not only are you listening to everyone play mm-hmm. like really awesome music, but they all look so happy too. And you can look over at them and they're, they've got this huge smile on their face and they bring that energy to you. And all of a sudden you, you, you know, that joy was transferred to you and you feel so fucking happy and the music is so good. And I mean, just, just that like indescribable feeling of everything lining up so perfectly. And that's kind of what happened. And it was so early on for me. I just could not escape that feeling after that. I just needed to be in that band because I knew that I would have a chance to feel that again if I was in that band. If I was in the Basie band, like maybe it'd still be fun, but it wouldn't be nearly the same as being with those people. And I mean, all these musicians Mm -hmm. were either my age or younger than me by like a long shot. Like some of the most 
fucking badass musicians were way younger than me. And it was, it was so inspiring for me to be like, <laughs> it's like, I'm 17. Yeah. And this 14 year old is <laughs> swinging so much harder than me, but it doesn't even matter because these people, you know, they're welcoming me into their world. I don't really think I experienced a lot of like, I don't know. I, I experienced a little bit of, of mm. drama where people didn't like me, but it was very scarce compared to the friendships that I made. And I just feel like I got really lucky, like being placed in that band and just everyone was really patient with me too. Cause they knew that I was trying hard and they knew that I was new. And unlike <laughs> the band director who was willing to tell me any chance I got <laughs> that I sucked, like any chance he got to tell me he sucked, that I sucked. Dang it. He would do it. Anyways, <laughs> you can listen back to Autumn's episode if y'all are interested in that. <laughs> but damn, yeah, just that indescribable feeling. Like if you can direct a band in the future and give kids a chance to, to feel that way, like that is so huge. And I honestly don't know if I'll ever feel that again in another big band. Yeah. I didn't feel it. No, yeah, I get it. And like, I'm sure, I'm sure Mike knows that we feel that way I'm, I'm i'm almost positive i've talked with him about it and like it's it's actually it's like actually crazy <laughs> like like listening back like it's so nice that they make the cds so you mm -hmm. can like listen back um but like it's you you really don't realize it until you're put into other situations like that is likely the best big band that you're ever going to play in let let alone okay that's honestly one of the best ensembles you will probably ever play in right and like but you don't you don't realize it until you're like yeah. moving on and you're like ah oh, dang this like could be so much better yeah yeah for me it was little things just like just the, the swing feel um it's it's kind of really hard to achieve like yep yep no every single yeah, person in the band singing it. super fucking hard but you know that, that was something that I didn't ever experience out out of TJI you know I don't yeah know how to I mean it. I don't know why it just never really I, that way so I can't recall any time where that's happened with me and TJB like there have been some real swinging performances but like none where I'm just like this is like as swinging as it gets but like i've when i was directing the ensemble um uh i was you know the thing that we do at tji where like you get up and you start singing the triplets and you like you start snapping your fingers right like as campy as it seems like i'm gonna use that wherever i go because that is like ingredient number one to swinging like straight up and i think it's just because of like the sort of jazz concept that a lot of people have up in phoenix it's so not that it's like not that either way is right or wrong right like i've heard people swing in a completely different way that sound mm -hmm. really killing but I think when you're playing like this type of big band music mm -hmm. or like bassy music, which is really frequently pulled in the concert jazz band, you, you, you if you want it to s sound and feel the best that it can, you have to lean into a specific way of swinging. 
And when I was directing the ensemble, I had him, you know, get up and do the thing. And I don't know if it's because, so there's a few, there, this, as great of an experience it was, there was like some hurdles along the way. But like, I, I don't know if it's because of anyone's egos or anything like that. I I don't think it is. Or if it's because like people think like, they sort of know what's going on or they know how to swing. Um, and not to say that I know more than anyone else, but it's just like, this is what has helped me get this sound. So I'm trying to have you guys do it. Right. And people were just like rolling their eyes at it because, because it's like, I mean, it's a super, like, like I said, it's kind of campy and it's like, <laughs> It's goofy and it almost seems like something that you it's it's because it's so rudimental. And when you, you think that when you're in an ensemble that is that high of a caliber as a concert jazz band, you shouldn't need to be doing rudimentary things anymore. And it's super challenging to show people why they still need to do that without it appearing that you are like talking down to them and it's <laughs> it was so challenging to sort of like I, I mean i i had faith in it and like obviously there were people in the band that took it seriously because they experienced it and know that it works but like i i knew that there was gonna be people where it was just like it'd go over their heads right and like they'd continue to play in their voice which is okay but if you're in a big band you you are trying to like play bassy music you need to know what was the like what makes bassy's voice sound like that like what makes their big band sound like the bassy big band and it's just it was oh geez like mm -hmm. there was after the semester, like after the concert that like it culminated at where I directed the band, I heard by through the grapevine that there was some feedback that people had, but it was never given to me in the context of a rehearsal. And yet you know what I'm saying. But like, oh, no. like part of it was because there was a lack of communication between myself, a trumpet player who was also sort of like co-leading the band in a sense, and the director of the band, and the rest of the ensemble. Mm -hmm. Like there was, I don't think it was ever said like, hey, Richie just went to a like workshop for this sort of stuff. We're going to give him time to like work his new skills and it was it might have come off the wrong way as hey richie knows more than you guys we're gonna let him do this and when there's that sort of lack of communication obviously there are gonna be people in the band who, <laughs> who are like who does this guy think he is where does he get off and I, in my head mm -hmm. i'm just like well i've been playing this music for so long like i i know what i'm talking about and i'm and i'm like like i'm saying i'm i'm not saying that i know more than anyone else about any given right. thing but i do know how much i know 
And there was just, yeah, like no one was giving me, if someone didn't agree with the way that I was doing something, I never heard it to my face, which isn't helpful to anyone. <laughs> if you wanted the rehearsals to run differently, you should have told, you should, you know, you tell the director and you compromise yeah. and the rehearsals change. But I just kept going on with this sort of <laughs> ignorance to the fact that like people were like really frustrated with a, a particular aspect of it. And I'm just like, well, you, you live and you learn, you know, obviously I know what I'd change if I did it again. But in hindsight, like, man, I really wish people would have right. just told me like, hey, can you do this differently? You know? And Mike did that a few times. Like there were a few times where I'd have like a one-on-one -on -one meeting with him. And he's like, you shouldn't do this this way or like try doing this this way. And I'm like, okay. But those were, those were different things than what um, right. were the conflicts with the members of the ensemble. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like one of those things where, you know, right. It, there was mm -hmm. no formal announcement that you were going to start leading the group yep. per se. And so when you started to do it, everyone is like, wait, what the fuck? But also, you know, I definitely think that there has always been this kind of ego thing going on at ASU because, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to, I don't, I can't name like a particular person per se, but I think that when people are comfortable being leaders on their own, they get really yeah. insecure and a little bit jealous when someone else is also good at it. And it's, it's hard for them to watch it. And even if they weren't thinking you were good at sure. it, they could have been thinking like, well, I wish I were doing it, but why is he getting to do it? You know? And it's like this whole thing that yeah. instead of just saying like, Hey, Richie, all due respect, why are we doing this? You know, like someone like shouted out and been like, what is the, you know, outcome of this? You know, they could have said that, but instead, as some of these guys do, they like to just talk behind each other's backs about it, which is. Definitely not productive or helpful, you know. <laughs> Everyone gossips, right? And I'm not saying that I've never talked about someone behind their back. Like, I'm no, <laughs> I'm no, like, person free of this right. sort of thing. But, like, in that particular situation, it was sort of like, man, like, right. feedback? Question mark? <laughs> and there was, and after, you know, actually after the fact, there was never, like, a, there was never, like, a sort of conclusive, like, okay, well, how do you guys think I did, you know? Like, there was, I, I literally, aside from Mike, I don't think I really ever got feedback unless, like, I was having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone. You know, maybe that just speaks to the mm. culture of, like, being in music school, that you kind of feel like you should be quiet and you shouldn't really speak up on that sort of thing. I don't know if that's 100% the truth, but... Yeah. I definitely feel like in some cases, I wish I had spoken up about something and then I didn't. So I wonder if it's just like a cultural like aspect where, where some of the people in that band might have wanted to say something. It just makes me think about, you know, this ensemble that we were in the Ellington band where like, if, <laughs> if a student in the band thought something, they were, they would just say it. And like, you know, like literally like they'd be like, Exactly. Man, you sort of sound like shit. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, cool, thanks. Like, that's not the, the, that's obviously not the best way to go about it. But when you're so used to, like, being able to give open feedback, 
like th- that is something that I did as well in uh mm-hmm. in CJB even when I wasn't directing the band like and I was never I was never really told like you can't do that like Mike was Mike listened to the stuff that I said and he's like okay mm-hmm. but I I also think that that sort of presence right. of or like things like that also might have soured some people's taste like okay like you're not directing the band why are you speaking out and i could say the same thing for a trumpet player that i'm thinking of as well and it's just sort of like yeah <laughs> and right. i don't know it's just it's it's just probably a, a specific musical upbringing you know absolutely well i think you know i have a very i have very little experience mm-hmm. but i have kind of co-led like a middle school big band before i've done a little bit of big band stuff and i mean totally different level totally different experience and everything like that but i i really did notice how clammed up all these kids are they're just so shy and they don't want to say anything and part of what you need to do as a jazz musician anyway is learn how to express yourself through your instrument, if not through your voice, like through actually saying something. So I was trying to crack these kids shells and just like tell them like, Hey, it's okay. If you play whatever you want to play, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, like you'll figure it out as you go along. And I, I wanted, you know, there were times where I remember asking a particular, like, I don't know, one of the trombone players or something, I'd ask him a specific question about the part. (laughs) And he was like, I don't know. I, I mean, am I supposed to say that? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're supposed to say it. Like, tell me what you think about that. How would you feel? Like, let's, you know, I would do an exercise. I think me and Alex Price did this when we went there once to this one school. Is we had each first player yeah. play their part, each second player, you know, so on and so forth. So that you could hear their parts just by themselves. And like, you know, that's something that a lot of, you know, music educators would know and think to do, but the kids were like totally shocked by this and they were almost freaked out by it too. And I was like <laughs> thinking in my head, I can't remember yeah. how many times my band director yeah. just make me play <laughs> shit that I didn't know on purpose just to humiliate me in front of the group. <laughs> it's like, I'm not trying to humiliate y'all. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to like hear what you have to play. And if you don't know it, that's okay. Like I'm, you know, I would just go into sectionals with them and be like, all right, what don't we know? Let's go. Let's figure this out. You know, yeah, no, I really get it. motivating and kind and, you know, not mean. I don't know. <laughs> not mean at all. But I, I know that depending on what I what I end up teaching someday, like I, I have other high school students that, um, you know, I feel like I don't teach jazz with them, but I feel like in certain cases, mm-hmm it is more appropriate to kind of like get down to it and be a little tougher about it than to be super yeah. nice too. Yeah. But I guess that's just a teaching thing. You got to balance it, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Big band. Crazy times. Do you know how often, I mean, this hasn't happened in several years, but I used to flex the, With the Max. Ellington band's, video yeah, from I, you don't essentially even Ellington I was in in 2012. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's me, but look at this guy. Oh man, I'd flex that video so hard. I'd be like, look, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and look at that guy. I know that was back. Oh, just <laughs> the most fun times. Yeah. Ever. Like, well, except for. Yeah. It's a mix. It wasn't because 
it wasn't but mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like what a what a surreal experience you know <laughs> yeah honestly yeah and it's still on and YouTube, I'm, but I'm probably yeah, going to watch like, it when we're done. <laughs> seeing one person Crying. completely slam on three <laughs> instruments, and I can barely play one, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how, how old was he? Like, a senior in high school? Damn. Yeah, he was, he was 17. <laughs> yeah, Max Goldschmidt. Oh my gosh, shout out to Max. Um... <laughs> love that guy but oh i believe it i believe it was put through the i totally believe it he didn't even want to do it <laughs> he was he was like can we not make me play all these instruments so basically the story is that max was asked to play trombone tenor saxophone and trumpet and he was supposed to play a solo on each instrument one after the other for a solid like god how long was that 10 minutes probably maybe not that long but he had to play those instruments back to back to back. And it's like, anyone else could have played a solo. Anybody. <laughs> but no. It had to be. Yeah. Like, literally, Alon got a short solo. That's it. <laughs> Everyone else. <laughs> like, and it was so funny. I remember, we may or may not keep this in, but I remember there was a rehearsal where Aubrey was on tenor sax, and he was like, look, I learned I can play a, a solo. Let me just play. Let's just see what happens. Let me play. And he was allowed to play, and he fucking killed it. He played a really good solo. <laughs> yeah, and he mm -hmm. can do it just as good as Max can do it. It's not like he was less good. It wasn't like it was a musicianship thing. Yeah, yeah. It was just that Doug wanted to use Max as like a fucking puppet. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It's just... Something else. I've just never experienced anything yeah, like that, and I'll never experience anything not like in that a ever again. I'm sure. Performers yeah. role. Yeah. <laughs> I, so. I totally believe it, though. Like, <sighs> just <Funny> though. <laughs> making a student do like a hundred ten percent when they only want to do like eighty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I just play in the yeah, ensemble? Yeah, they're just like, can I just exist, please? <laughs> can I just be a human being? But tell me about okay. the music that you're We got to start <laughs> when 2020 in like February. I was emailing uh, Ben Hedquist, uh, faculty at ASU, and I was setting up a recital at the Nash. And it was going to be like the end of May or something like that. And then... A uh, giant meteor hit the earth, and no one was allowed to leave their homes, and um, that got canceled, clearly. So, But it's fine, because since I'm a music education major, I, don't, I only need one recital, which kind of could be considered BS, but I'm not, I'm not complaining at this point. Um, and come the following semester, which was like the first semester of my last year, um, I was talking to Mike, and I'm like, well, what do? Because <laughs> I I need to do I need this credit to be done, but uh, I can't really. He's like he literally told me like we're not gonna let you do like a, a septet or a sextet on in a live performance. I'm like that's pretty fair, because <laughs> that's unsafe kind of. And um, I was like, okay, well, can I just like instead can I do a yeah. recording project? He's like, yes, thumbs up. And 
Um, by then, I want to say I had written like four or five tunes, maybe six. And I was like, I was, I had gone back and forth about what I would put on this recital because I knew I was going to film it too, or film something because I had to present it. And, uh, I was like, well, I already have written a few charts. Like I could write more and the whole thing could be original music. And that's what I went down. That's what I went with. Uh, and so it started off with like figuring out how I was going to do it. And I really was just like, okay, clearly this is not going to be played live in any aspect other than the rhythm section. So I started, there are two charts that I wrote. Um, one's called Utopia and one's called uh, Not So Blue. And I wrote them in a way where I knew that the melody would be able to fit over just the rhythm section playing together because uh, there are like other things that I wrote where there's like, it's a little bit harder to sort of sell that way because there's like more interaction or whatever. But anyway, anyway, um, I wrote these tunes and I hired like Ben and Nathan and Jacob Donahue and I rehearsed with them. Well, actually I wrote one of those tunes and then I had the first rehearsal and then I was, <laughs> I was like at home and I was like, I, I had scheduled three rehearsals with them and then I told them we were going to record and that was going to, that was like it. And I told them like maybe an extra rehearsal if we need to, but that's, you know, we are going to record this at a specific time. And after the first rehearsal, for some reason, I was like, I'll write another tune. And I have this like, not necessarily bad habit, but like, um, <laughs> potentially uh, bad habit of like <laughs> promising to bring in a tune on a day or like like asking my group like hey can we read a tune that i wrote and then being like yeah sure and <laughs> and then i write something <laughs> like i didn't have anything prepared and um it's sort of it's sort of like a reinforcement for me to be like okay well now i have to bring in something and so i brought in a, another tune and it was mm -hmm. oh, kind of really challenging actually to uh find the identity of the tune because it was super fresh like right out of the oven and like i said i like don't write drum parts and like there was like no i like had like a very vague uh idea of what i wanted oh, yeah. but they uh got it down by the next rehearsal and so i just i was like okay well how are we gonna record this so it, my options were either um if it was possible, record at Clark's studio because um, that'd be the easiest way. Because he, he, I asked him, he said that it could be done. Right. Like, uh, the rhythm section could record there safely. And that, and if that couldn't work out, like if I couldn't afford it or anything, um, I would record in 114 with all of the AV equipment that I have access to <laughs> because I work for the school. Um and it worked out with Clark. Uh, he he gave me like right. a discount of sorts, and 
um, rhythm section recorded, and I asked, I asked Liam, Liam Connor, Matt Fox, and Tyler Bauer to play on it, and yep, <laughs> Ty Ty Bow Wow. But uh, I, you know, I was just thinking like, there's no reason why I can't ask Tyler to play on it <laughs> because like, they ever all the horns are recording separately, like. Um, I sort of just wanted him on there because he's like such a close friend and I wanted his playing on tunes. Like I, I'm so familiar with like his sound that I was just like, this is like the sound concept that I want on this tune. So I asked him to do it and the horns recorded their parts and I did all of the like producing on it. Like, cool, obviously, my, the stuff that I got from Clark sounded so good. I almost didn't need to do any work on them because he he just, his equipment is that good. But, like, I did, like, all of the EQ and all of, like, I produced everything, basically, aside from what Clark recorded. And um, I presented it, like... <laughs> such a goofy uh like recital of sorts where i was like in a christmas outfit and like there's like little skits and i put in like uh crowd laughter and applause and stuff like that and because i wanted it to be like you know i didn't want it to just oh be like God. only pictures of like the group and then audio like people like performances that's one of the things right. that I think is so missed right now is just like the performative part of being a musician and live streams are cool and all, but that wasn't what I was doing. <laughs> and really? I needed to find a way how to like give a performance, even though the only thing that they were going to be like the main subject matter was just audio. So I had these skits in between each song. And um, when I was done, I was just like, wow, this, sounds so good <laughs> but i might as well just sell it like it's uh seven original tracks and and well there's like a hidden track on Bandcamp, which is like the christmas tune but uh i like i was just like like i have no reason not to put this music out there like yeah. especially because it's like all original music if, if i was if it was just like recordings of like like giant steps moments notice sunny side on the street maybe i wouldn't put that out there <laughs> like maybe i'd put that on instagram or something but like this was like this was me this was the, this was the stuff that i was had been writing literally since uh like 2018 like i i didn't write start writing music until i got to college and like this was almost keyword almost every chart that i've ever written in college there's one chart on there that just completely did not fit with the vibe of everything else and i've i've only performed it once and i've never been able to like find another place to put it because it's just like it's <laughs> ben calls it the richard brennan funk excursion <laughs> so like it's just it is technically a part of my musical identity but it did not sort of fit with the identity of all these other charts that had that could be in a part in one album and i mean that's i that's basically it it's on Bandcamp, and uh right. it i mean 
I listen to it and I'm just like, is it really like good enough to be like out there? And I'm like, yeah, like it, it to me, I am content with what it is. And especially Mike gave me a really good flake of advice. But it was like, you know, this wasn't about this, but I think about it. He said, you know, we are always trying to do something like perfectly kind of, and we're, we set really high expectations for ourselves, but as long as it's good, then people will listen to it. You know, it doesn't need to, I don't, I I don't need to be playing like the best jazz improviser from the new school or anything like that. Like I, it's, it sounds like good music to me. And, you know, famous Duke Ellington quote, there's good music and then there's the other kind, right? Like there's everything else. And I think it's good music. So that's, I was just like, yeah, I might, I'll mm-hmm. put it out there. Hell yeah. I mean, that you really just need to be happy with your work. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be anything that you think other people will even like. It doesn't matter. If you're happy with it. You should just release it and then see who shows up to hear it. There is a ASU... Um, I guess magazine, it's a publication called Lux and it is, I think ran through Barrett comma the honors college. Sorry. I had to, but, um, like they take art, um, pieces from the, from ASU and two of my tracks got selected to be like featured in their next pub, like volume. And yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't sign like an NDL or anything like that or an NDA. So, or whatever it's called (laughs) agreement. Yeah. So it's an NDA, but, uh, so I think I'm okay to say that, but like, um, (laughs) it was one, one of them was the track that I wrote. Like, (laughs) I just thought about this. One of them was the last track that I wrote. And one of them was the first track that I wrote, which is weird. Which, which the first track that I wrote was the one that's written about Aubrey and huh. like this other one was just one that I th- did not think would, it's literally the track that I, I almost didn't put on the recital. Cause I was just like, I don't know if I like it, you know, it's, it's so funny whenever I'm like yes. telling people that I want to do stand up Cause I have like the whole explanation and I explain my jokes and all this sort of stuff. So I'll just tell you this. Okay. So I was at the library the other day. Hard to believe, I know. And a man walked up to the counter and the person behind the counter was like, may I help you? This man says, hi, I'd like a double cheeseburger, please. Right, and I'm just I'm just there like, did I just hear that correctly? And the person behind the counter says, sir, this is a library. And so the man replies, oh, sorry. It's such a stupid joke. That's like, that's my (laughs) joke for if the audience, if I go after, if I either start and the audience is like not drunk enough, or if I go after someone who bombed, or if I'm bombing, you know, that's like, it's, it's, it's like a joke that will almost get giggles from at least five people, which is enough. Oh my God. (laughs) Incredible. Especially me. Cause I laugh at everything, even if it's not (laughs) funny. (laughs) I'm like. The person who laughs in spite of myself and also like if I feel awkward, I'm like, oh, 
And then everyone's like, God, you laugh True. at everything. I agree. And I'm I like, agree. you know what? Sometimes it's how you get through life. You just got to laugh through it. That's all I can say. Thank you for having yes. me. It has, it has been. No, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. And I'm going to insert a, a nice little clip cool. of Richie's music at the end of this episode. So stay tuned. <laughs> moment to thank everyone again for listening to tonight's podcast. Some of you may be listening early and that is through my Patreon that was just launched for the Aria podcast. The thing about the Patreon is that all proceeds that I make from my patrons immediately go to organizations for donations, including but not limited to the Navajo Nation Department of Health, the Navajo Nation Relief Fund, the Native American Advancement Foundation, and the Black Empowerment Plus Mutual Aid Project. All of these are located in Arizona, and the goal of the Patreon is to actually support and donate to organizations for Black, Indigenous, people of color, the LGBTQ plus community, etc. If you would like to suggest a organization that you would like the ARIA podcast to donate to, I am absolutely open to suggestions. You can send a DM to the ARIA podcast Instagram page, or you can hit me up personally. My name is Julianne Colwell, and you can find me easily on social media. This podcast is all about supporting our community, and so my goal with the podcast and with the Patreon is to take these proceeds and donate them every month. If you're interested in donating in another way, or if you just know of someone in need that you would like me to donate to, you can also let me know that way.